You're listening to Object of Sound from Sonos, the show where we bring you in tune with the music that shapes our culture. When music lives in the air, it's one thing. But when you know the undercurrents and the ideas that went into a song, when you can feel its weight, it becomes more meaningful. I'm Hanif Abdurraqib, a poet and culture critic, and I'll be your guide as we seek a deeper way of listening. So when I think of some of the most forward-thinking artists who are working today, my mind always returns to Bjork. Who I have loved for decades now for how her work pushes ideas around sound, of language, how committed she is to invoking the sensual and exciting natures of the natural world. Bjork's new album is out today, September 30th, and it is titled, appropriately, Fosora, which stems from the Latin word to dig. The album comes at a wonderful time. Where I am in Ohio, the soil is growing fertile and the temperature is dropping really drastically and quickly. It was 90 degrees about a week ago, and now uh, it is in the 50s and 60s, which delights me. The trees are starting to change ever so slightly in my neighborhood, and I am feeling an immense connection to fall. And so this album feels almost like a living, breathing organism that is acting as kind of a guide through the underground. It embraces the ideas of digging, conjuring images of fungi, and looking inwards at the roots of the lives we lead. And so this week on the show, I am so delighted and overjoyed to be talking with Bjork. We go not track by track, but kind of break down Fosora from an idea to idea basis. I wanted to craft an interview that felt kind of like digging itself, digging into the process of composing the work. And I'm so glad that she was excited to kind of go idea by idea with me and and look at this album from a big and expansive point of view. To close the show... I'm going to guide you through a playlist I've composed in response to this album, a playlist of autumnal music, music that gets at the feeling of my favorite season, the spookiest season, the apple picking season, autumn. So you'll hear those songs over on Sonos Radio at radio.sonos.com or in the Sonos app, and we'll leave a link to those in the show notes. And now here's my conversation with Bjork. Hi, Bjork. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to talk about this beautiful album. Thank you so much. I first kind of want to ask about the journey, the sonic journey and thematic journey from Utopia to Fosora, which um, the latter album, of course, is kind of steeped in this interest and investment in what is moving in the underground world and in the roots of a life. Whereas Utopia felt a lot more spacey and perhaps in the clouds or in the air. How did you thematically get from one point to the next in terms of both themes and sounds? Um, yes, um, thank you. I think 
I guess most of our lives are kind of like that in a way that we go through periods. Um, I do try with the sound world of each album to sort of be the environment that how I experienced each period in my life. Like, for example, for me, the best way to describe emotionally why I did <laughs> first a flute album that was all air and no bass and then transitioned into a bass clarinet album <laughs> element roots in the ground is uh, I think where I was in my life I think utopia was a beginning so you have more like the ideals how you want things to be but then what happens after periods like that with, for most people is you have to live that life. <laughs> you have to go right. inside the utopia and get tables and chairs and bowls and spoons and do normal day-to-day -day things. And uh, Fosora is very that. Fosora was exaggerated also by the pandemic in the sense that I was here in Iceland for like three years without traveling. This time around, I really shut down roots and felt grounded and could, you know, live in my little sort of village lifestyle where I walk to the cafe, I meet like my friends I've had since childhood family, local swimming pool, go for a hike in the mountains. So in that sense, it, I think overall it's a pretty happy album and also just happy with what you got sort of album. Every album has its own kind of sonic world that you've built for us. And with this one, I was so swept away by the wind or the, you know, the clarinets, I think specifically uh, drew me in. And then right when I kind of thought I was getting a feel of the kind of being swept away the clarinets, you get these heavy trombone sounds that again kind of sink you into um, the earth theme. And so what was your approach instrumentation-wise and how did the world of sound get built for this album? Yes, oh, thank you. That's very flattering. Um, I think it started as uh, like six bass clarinets um, and I did. I was working on a lot of different sort of ideas with that and I and I hope in songs like Fungal City, um, uh, Atopos, Fosora and um, Victimhood. I was trying to do the sort of as varied as possible you know with Victimhood to be really like an emotional uh, melancholic blues song. was really, really percussive um, and tried to sort of get reach as different ends of what the six bass clarinet six that can do. I bow to all 
then what also came in was maybe I wasn't interested to do a whole album, just six bass clarinets. Um, and also enjoying the, re the long-term relationship I have in Iceland, which I felt very blessed with. I then started to think, wait a minute, this album is, okay, half of it is like a bass clarinet album, but half of it is actually celebrating these incredible musicians that are here. And I'm just going to go for what each song needs. So yes, two songs need strings. And I think the older I get, I actually become a better string arranger. So I feel, for example, in Freefall, that's the string arrangement I'm probably one of the that I'm most proud of in all my all my albums. And then um, Berkur Thorison, which I worked with, ended up being <laughs> stuck with me in. Um, the pandemic and he is a multi-instrumentalist uh, he's also a musician and a, a classically trained he's also a, like a sound nerd making you know microphones and I was lucky enough to be uh, stuck in COVID with someone who was as versatile as him so he uh, plays a trombone so Ovio became a trombone track I am And then the, the final song with the Cor Anglais, which technically is a bass oboe. I felt uh, the album needed not just uh, uh, wind instruments doing chords, but also like a soloist. I wanted to talk about some of the emotional layers in the lyrics, particularly um, Sorrowful Soil and Ancestress back-to-back, -back, uh, dealing with eulogy and epitaph. And I am someone who myself writes about grief and someone who's dealt with loss, and therefore I know loss and grief is not just singular emotions. The kaleidoscopic nature of grief is, is very immense. And so um, Sorrowful Soil, I was, I was really excited or, or interested to hear the song lyrically take on the eulogy as not just a site of sorrow, but also as a site of acceptance or pleasure or even seeking language for what is lost and kind of repurposing it. writing of that particularly you know like having two songs you know with the loss of of your mother um how did you find yourself kind of contrasting the varied modes of uh emotion and grief i particularly love the ending of sorrowful soil where we get the kind of refrain of you did well you did your best you did well no. 
Some of it might be influenced by an Icelandic folk song that is from the 1700s and is sort of a song that Icelandic people sing when they're drunk around the bonfire or choirs. It's actually quite complex. So maybe, yeah, how about choirs when they're drunk? basically an epitaph and it's sort of almost like a cold um, recital of the facts of someone's life it's like oh his name was this he was born this year uh, he had uh, this job and marriage and he had these kids and then he died so and I, I always thought that lyric was really funny when I was a kid or teenager because it's like uh, singing something really factual, you know, like reading your passport. So I think in some way, sort of full soil and ancestress are a take on that. Um, well, instead of being sort of the patriarchal listing of jobs that you did in your lifetime and marriages, it should be more biological and more emotional. So in sorrowful soil, I'm talking about that each woman is born with 400 eggs. In a woman's lifetime, she gets 400 eggs. Which I always think is such a beautiful thing. Like even when you have a baby girl one day old, she actually has 400 eggs inside her already. And, and I wanted to do, okay, my mother had, 400 eggs and and two of them became human beings and um, I thought that was kind of more interesting than listing all the jobs she did and you did well the part that you mentioned um, I thought it was really interesting when my grandfather passed away um, uh, at the hospital they give you this pamphlet um, of like when people are in their last days, um, what they will are talking about uh, and how you should react to it. And it was like, okay, they are going to go repeatedly over making sure that they paid their dry cleaning bills. And, you know, you know, they're going to go through like a to-do list asking you, you to finish stuff like that. And then they are going to ask you repeatedly if they did well. And I was like, wow, that's such a weird thing, just reading it in like a badly sort of photocopied pamphlet in, a, in the downtown hospital. And then that's literally what happened. Uh, he would ask repeatedly, like, you know, did I do well? And then you would tell him and then he would fall asleep and you wake up and you would start over again. Like, did I do well? And, and I would just say you know, everybody would be there. Yes, you you were a good father. You were a good grandfather. You and and uh, so it just became like a mantra. And I I think by the time my mother got ill, um, I felt like I this was something that I had learned. 
you know, it's like even though she's the sort of person that would never ever ask questions like that, mm-hmm. I just decided, okay, I'm just gonna give that to her <laughs> as a present. Right, right. <laughs> albums in it seems like there's still such a um, sonically lyrically thematically an expansion vision towards the future you know I, I thought this album was um so and this is just my interpretation of it of course but it felt so richly optimistic and I am not by nature an optimist and I'm also not someone who organically feels optimistic. There was this kind of portion of free fall that I loved about uh, lyrically, if we cling to what we used to be, it'll burn our soul, we'll get hurt. How do you stay so future-focused, not only building sounds that feel futuristic, but um, songs that lyrically trend towards asking at least curiously optimistic questions about the future? Thank you very much. I love your questions. <laughs> um, hmm. um, yeah, I think overall this is a very happy album. I'm just happy to be home. Just really, really happy. Um, you know, to be honest... I do think the lifestyle in Iceland is very optimistic. It's you are, even though you are downtown Reykjavik, you are still part of this nature. You know, you you go on hikes. You know, I live on a beach. Actually, where I'm sitting now, I'm in my studio. I can see the volcano that was erupting from my window. So any given time, the eruption could cover all of Reykjavik. So... I think we haven't lost that humility and that sort of relationship with nature, uh, which I think it's very profound. And also just being outdoors a couple of hours a day, I think is very important yes. just to keep your um, your joy in there. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The album's title, I'm interested in um, both the translation of it and you know how you kind of found your way to it. Yeah, it took me a, a while to find the title this time around because um, I wanted to describe the overall sound uh, because it's so bottom end, bassy. I do hope people listen to this one loudly in their car or on in headphones because it is very, it's like a bottom end symphony. Uh, but I wanted the title for Sora to somehow include that and in the end I found this word that uh, started with fossorial which is used as a word for animals like lizards and moles and other who live underground and they have an arm that they can dig like their eggs into the ground and that felt a little bit like this uh, album and then I saw other words like there's the male word for that fossore and then I added like an A to that. So I sort of made up a new word for Sora. So it is the one who 
who digs. But I would say like 80% that's a happy thing. It's like digging a hole and moving into it and listen to a lot of bass and uh, and and loving it. But of course, it's also linked into saying good farewell to, you know, a parent, which is, of course, kind of digging into your roots and, and you have to go through like... Um, Reevaluate your relationship with a parent, which I noticed afterwards that libraries and um, bookshops <laughs> and record shops and films, uh, I didn't realize before that like 40% is all about <laughs> parents passing away. <laughs> it's, a, yeah. it's a huge subject matter that I kind of had a blind eye to before. But uh, yeah, it, of course, you have to evaluate. When your parent goes from stops being flesh and blood next to you and it becomes like a spirit or a element, uh, I un- I think I understand for the first time what that means when people say that. And in a way, the ego of it goes away, but it's more the spiritual side of you and that parent uh, becomes more conjoined so it is there is more closeness in a strange kind of way i i understand it now you sort of have to experience it to get it i think this is a perfect segue to my next question but i did want to say that i listened to this album in headphones in my car and i'm kind of like a loud speaker and i yeah i i would agree and encourage people to listen to this in many modes when they can because it is a it's an experience like i like instrumentally the way that it kind of uh moves in the chest is a real experience the depth of the bass and the complexities of the different sonic movements uh it requires multiple listens in multiple different venues um i am also curious i wanted to know about the idea of family um and your your idea of what family means or has meant if that changed at all during the crafting of this album, which does have your your family members on it, right? You have tracks with your son and daughter on the album, and, and it's a very kind of their songs with swelling choirs, and um, uh, you know the the idea of family takes many modes, of course. And I am wondering if you had a shift in the understanding of that through the making of this album. Yes, for sure. Yeah, thank you. That makes me very happy that you were enjoying. Uh, the bottom end of the album, <laughs> like that, uh, I have to give a shout out to Hepa Kadri, the magnificent uh, Egyptian uh, New Yorkian <laughs> mix and mastering engineer. She put so much work into this. We we it was like months and months of massaging until we got it right. Um, family. Uh, Yes, it is a big element. I, I don't know why I've, why it felt right now um, to, to do that. I've, I've been really, really protective of my family always. I never yeah. talked about them. Uh, but it felt somehow it was like it would cause more damage to hide it than to reveal it. And then also we were all... <laughs> quarantined here for years together so it was like you are part of this album and so you should be you know (laughs) my son is singing on the song about my mother 
which felt really right because she was really young when he was born. Uh, she was like 40, so they were a big part of each other's life. So I was very, very happy with also the vocal arrangements that, that he did. He has such an incredible voice and it, it's, it's really enjoyable uh, to sing this with him. Um, with my daughter, it's sort of a different kind of song. Um, it's sort of a song about her leaving the nest. I was just finding it hilarious how difficult uh, it was for me to sort of... Sometimes I would be really graceful in letting go. And then the day after I would do something really stupid. So I think it's some strange kind of comedy song about how clumsy I was. And she wrote her lyrics there. Uh, I encouraged her to write whatever she wanted Wonderful, wonderful. Bjork, thank you so much for talking to me. This album is uh, really special and it, it uh, made me consider my relationship to the world and being a bit softer with it. So thank you for that as well. Oh, thank you. Um, I couldn't be more proud to hear that. That feels sublime. Thank you. <laughs> that was Bjork. Her new album, Fosora, is out now. And now for a final thought. I've been thinking about the title of the album, which you heard Bjork talk about a bit during our interview, where she described it as meaning the one who digs. And I've also been thinking about these preparations for hibernation, so to speak, that I make personally as I feel us getting closer and closer to winter. And I, I think that there's something about digging, digging into making a place that is comfortable for you, digging into a home and making a home in a place that really resonates with me. I, If I had it my way, I would only really ever be in like three rooms in my house. The one that is almost like very surprising for me is my sneaker room. Folks who know me a bit know that I am a collector of sneakers. I have a lot of sneakers in my house and they are in a room that I meticulously organized when I first moved in. I put little like, sneaker display shelves, drilled them into the walls. I spend so much time organizing and reorganizing them. You know, there's, it's kind of endless and I can get lost in there. And there's a couch in there where I can read and take breaks when I pull all the sneakers off the wall and put them back on the wall and these kind of things. And it's also a place that faces a window in my house that is so high up that I cannot see the ground, but I can see the sky, Right. And what I love about winter, where I am, is that the sunsets are really beautiful. And if you are only seeing the sky, you can kind of forget that there is potentially snow or frost or ice on the grass or on the pavement. And uh, I love that corner of my house. I've built it as a place 
that is a home within a home. And um, I think when home building and world building is spoken of, it's spoken of in these broad and expansive terms. And what I love about Fasora and what I love about the concept of the one who digs is that digging can so often happen in a single place that you just burrow into deeper and deeper and deeper until it becomes yours in the most comfortable way possible. And so forgive me for summoning winter just as we're arriving at fall, but Do yourself a kindness and think of ways where you can burrow into something or somewhere that will be comfortable for you when winter does arrive. This has been Object of Sound from Sonos. Thank you to our guest this week, Bjork. To hear all the music in the full version of this show, listen on Sonos Radio at radio.sonos.com or in the Sonos app. You can find our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you like what you hear, go ahead and rate it and share it with your friends. This is a communal thing, music discovery. So tell us what you like about the show and what you're listening to. Let us know your thoughts in an email at objectofsound@sonos.com. You can follow the show at Object of Sound on Instagram. This show is produced by Work by Work, Scott Newman, Gemma Rose Brown, Kathleen Ottinger, Rhiannon Corby, and by me, Hanif Abdurraqib. The show is mixed by Sam Baer. Extra gratitude to Joe Dawson and Saida Blount at Sonos. I'm always talking about music online on Instagram and Twitter at Neef Muhammad. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for being a part of the show. <laughs>